Welcome to the School of Calisthenics podcast with Tim and Jacko. Answering your calisthenics questions, helping you to redefine your impossible. If you want more great content from us, you can find us on social media, on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And we've got a great YouTube channel where you can get in touch with us and ask your questions there. Let's get into these questions now. Welcome back to School Calisthenics. It is Tim and Jacko, and we have upped the podcast game in 2018. We've been hitting up you up with the podcast every week, and uh, things have gone up another notch because we're using that big actual microphone that you might be seeing in some of the other videos. Uh, we're actually using it to record on today, which feels like a very... This, this is a first, so it's a very special occasion. It's, it's come at a good time because we've, we've upped our technology game, but we've also rebranded, and we're now calling these a School of Calisthenics Playground Sessions. Our audio format of just us sharing some of our knowledge from training, but also a great opportunity to get guests on who can yes. add to our own knowledge and share their expertise so, with you guys as well. And in upping the game, we've upped the game in terms of guests. It's not just me and you rambling to each other. Exactly. We have a very special guest today. Tim. So, yeah, I'm going to introduce you guys to uh, Dr. Steve Ingham. When we say we up the game, we don't Which just go to any old sports <laughs> There's science a expert. There's in the house. <laughs> we go and get one of the best. So Steve is one of, I'm going to put down, as one of the leading physiologists in the country. World. World. Oh. Let me tell you a little bit about him. I've got Steve's book upstairs. Genuinely. Why is it upstairs? Because <laughs> I read in bed. Good man. That's like, I'm in bed with you, aren't I? You're in bed with me? <laughs> Sorry. This has started well. <laughs> so Steve's been a, um, a, worked in applied physiology since 2005, is that correct, when you moved to the IS? Or were you working before that, in 1996? Yeah, I was in the, uh, the Olympic Association in the late 90s. Uh, and then I suppose the Olympic Association was the forefather of the Institute system in yeah. many ways. So I was working with the British rowing team at the time and then I suppose the institute system really took, took over and then I, I moved up to Loughborough to work with the athletics team Great. in 2005. For those that you don't know, we often refer to it in sports science as the Institute or the English Institute of Sport. Basically that's an organisation which provides a lot of funded sports in the UK with the sports science and medicine support. So if you're a, if you're a funded athlete on a programme, you access support services typically through the EIS. And that covers everything from strength and condition, like my background, through to physiology, through to medicine, uh, doctors and research support, and they have pathway scientists. So it's become a huge organisation. I guess since the time when you started, mm. it's grown massively from when you, you got on board. Yeah, you're making me sound old now, but when I got my first job in 96, there, was, there were only 10 full-time sports scientists in the country, and I was leading a team of 300 that went to the Rio Games, and um, and then I think now probably estimates in football clubs, rugby clubs, but professional sports science support to you know weekend warrior type triathletes. There's thousands now. Yeah, one thing I think that's, that's great about about your time that you've, you've had with, within that, that professional sport environment is you've really been part of. Great Britain's rise to a superpower. I mean, when you started, where were we on the medal table, sort of languishing down somewhere? 36th. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was 96, just just above Armenia. Uh, so, out of 37. <laughs> and yeah, and then, then you've got an injection of lottery funding that allowed athletes and coaches to, to train and work full time. And then you had the, the rise in support systems up to 2004, 
2005 was a real pivot point primarily because we were awarded the home games yeah. and then everyone just went oh no <laughs> we've got seven years to, to shape this yeah. up and that really drove uh, so back in this is just slightly off piece um, just to my boyhood memories of watching Athletics on Sally who was knocking about in your early days then was it was it the Sally Gunnels and Roger Blacks of this world at that point or yeah it would have been so 1996 actually the British team were quite unlucky yeah. Uh, they had 15 medals, of which only one was gold. Red was that Atlanta? That's right, Red yeah. Grave and Pinson. Um, but there was a lot of near misses. Yeah, Jonathan Edwards, who got yeah. a silver medal yeah. at, at Atlanta, he was world record holder the year before, yeah. uh, won world championships. Yeah, Sally Gunner was, was reigning world and Olympic champion. She, put, she got a pick an, picked an injury up. Yeah. Steve Backley broke the Olympic record and got beaten by Jan Zalesny again. Mm. So there was a lot of near misses, but there's some Black, classic medal legends. Roger Black, in the uh, Roger Black was, yeah, silver medalist so, behind yeah. Um, yeah, Michael... It was effectively Michael a gold. Johnson. It was a second gold medal, wasn't <laughs> yeah. it? Because was, everyone was... Silver was the gold in that Pretty race. much, yeah. Pretty much. Great. Um, so uh, through those cycles, five Olympic cycles provided support to over 1,000 athletes, 200 that have gone on to achieve World or Olympic mm. medal success. And as you mentioned, they know Steve Redgrave. Is that more than you two? Yeah, yeah <laughs> far more than me. Um, I don't even have the, the Paralympic sport medals are, are more, um, I say freely available is the wrong way to say, but there are more medal, medal winning opportunities. Yeah, because so, of more classes, yeah. So yeah, so Steve has got an incredible back, uh, background and a CV for this. So you've also worked with, with Jessica Ennis-Hill, Steve Redgrave, Matthew Pinson, some of these big names and these titans of, of British sport. Steve's also an author, and we'll talk more about that later. And then in, after the Rio Games, um, left the EIS and went on to start his own business, supporting champions uh, with the ambition of bringing performance know-how to people to help, to help people to achieve their goals. So taking what you've learned from, from elite sport and, and taking it to, to the, a much wider audience. Um, I'm just going to start off, Steve, just frame this because we've got a bit of a, of a background in elite sports performance. But for, for people that, that don't know, what does a physiologist do? Well, a physiologist is, is very much about tuning the engine. So really only get a physiologist on sports, with, with sports that hurt. <laughs> so <laughs> the archery team shouldn't necessarily have a physiologist as such. If they do, they've probably got more resources than they, they potentially need. The archery team will need people around biomechanics and, dis- and um, skill acquisition, these sorts of things. But for sports that hurt, sports that where your energy capacity often is a, a huge determining factor, then you need a physiologist. You need someone who, who can help you get the most out of your, your genes and your, your physiological capability to, to have more capability for energy turnover, uh, so that you can produce more gas to go faster. That's pretty much it. So for for athletes in that category, there's blood, sweat, and tears. Mm. For a physiologist, it's blood, sweat, tears, urine, maybe a bit of saliva. <laughs> uh, any bodily fluid that's going, uh, we'll put it in a cup and analyse it, yeah. and so that we can use that information, whether it's hormonal levels, that you can start to tune up what they're doing, and so you can individualise with more depth. Yeah, great. So for a lot of people... Um, What's quite interesting about people that are part of our community and, and doing calisthenics, we're often doing other stuff as well, uh, whether that be obstacle course racing or we get people that are trying to sort of, a lot of questions, go, I'm doing a triathlon, but I also want to do calisthenics, so I think the two are going to be complementary. Mm. Is there anything like from a, um, 
a, a sort of management of multiple different stresses that really kind of leaps out from what you've learned of if someone's doing the endurance-based sport but has also got a strength-based interest and, and something around, we could sometimes get a lot of questions about how should I structure training weeks and we're probably a little bit, uh, we dodge the question sometimes because from my perspective, a lot of the time I just go, it depends, what do you want? Do you want to be able to do a muscle-up or do you want to be able to go and set a PB on your triathlon? Because they're, they're going to be fairly different things. Mm-hmm. But have you, have you any experience on where you've, because you're obviously working with heptathletes, with, with mm-hmm. Jess Ennis, like, yeah. how do you go about managing multiple physical stressors and then what happens when we start adding in life stress into that as well? Well, I think at the two ends of the spectrum, there's, you have to take an extreme approach. And so if you want to be an ultra-endurance athlete, then the the predominant training structure has to be based around stamina, endurance. Equally, if you're lifting weights above your head, and that's your job, um, if you go out for a jog, that's not going to be in your interest necessarily. Um, The the reality is a little bit further closer to the the middle in that modern strength conditioning will facilitate marathon performance and um, or or multi-day stage races in in cycling, for example. That will help you stay more robust. It will help you apply more force to the the pedals, et cetera. Um, And and equally, some fitness will will help some strength capability. The, um, I mean, someone like like, uh, Jess and the work that we've done there is is a case in point where my my job, for example, was to to bring the 800 meters up and I worked with Tony and Jess to, to help that become a strength. It was at the end of the, of the heptathlon. Yeah. But ultimately, the vast majority of the points available in, from, the, from the seven events come from six power events. Mm. Yeah, yeah. The, the next longest is the 200 metres, which is 23-odd seconds. That's not exactly, you know, it's not... Yeah. It's, it's, it's still strength sport. and power and speed, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So, so Jess, an athlete like Jess is, can jump and sprint. That's their capability. Yeah. They they are a sprinter with springs. That's that's what mm. we sort of think about a heptathlete. So, so if I turn her into a great eight hundred meter runner, there's every chance that there's a detriment to yeah. her ability to jump over a meter to one meter ninety six uh, bar, for mm. example. So you ha- then have to look for ways in which you can enhance ability at an appropriate rate, but that doesn't compromise other areas. Um, and so using some slightly high intensity training, um, some novel methods, adjusting warm-ups, these sorts of things, looking yeah. for small gain, but that doesn't take away all the other areas. Um, so so there's, there's a definite lesson, though, in the fact that when we're, we're preparing uh, multiple event-type athletes, um, so, f- so for example, we, when Jess got injured, she was on a bike for ages. We were doing all sorts of kind of cross-training, and she returned almost almost as fit as she mm. ever was. And we thought, actually, there's something in that. Yeah. In the loading that she's experienced on a day-to-day basis that's caused some sort of injury or uh, breakdown, we don't need to expose her to that type of loading. We can be more creative. Yeah. And so there's a lesson in that. Uh, and often the heptathletes were really robust because they're doing shot put drills, they're doing javelin yeah. drills. It's all really hugely mm. multidirectional, which... It relates to the work you guys do is that there's a whole variety of st- stimuli that that mean that that you're more rounded yeah, yeah. interestingly they might they're probably in danger of overtraining because they've got so much to do 
but they're less likely to overtrain one pattern because there are so many things to do, if, mm. that, if that makes sense, which might help. Maybe that helps with part of that robustness because they are doing so many different there's things. There's an interesting thing from, we obviously do a lot of work in Paralympic sport, and there's an interesting thing from um, shoulder injuries in wheelchair athletes. And the wheelchair basketball athletes have a far less... Um, history injury, or far reduced injury history or, or a risk of injury mm. as opposed to a um, wheelchair athletics race or sprint race or 100 meters because of the, the multi-directional work of what they're doing they're just more rounded in that mm. sense yeah. and we, we talk a lot about giving athletes movement options or giving people movement options so a lot of our calisthenics comes or can you balance on your hands and can you pull up and extend an arm out into a tight right to pull up or how what different ways have you got which you can move and if you can do lots of those different things then that makes you more robust because the system isn't just finally choosing just, one yeah, thing if all of a sudden it's then has to do something different I think yeah. that when I watch the heptathlon at the Olympics I love it because I'm just like all round like and it's funny because you see someone who's, see someone who's like a proper shot put athlete and some of the guys and the girls they're big people and then you see Jess do it and then she's going to go and do 110 meter hurdles and be pretty. If she was to run that race in Rio or in, in London, wasn't it? I think she was actually would have. She's not far off meddling in the. It was the go, it's equivalent to the gold medal time actually yeah. from the individual event. Yeah, yeah. so incredible athletes. Um, so in terms of, of how that fits together with with those managing those multiple stresses, what sort of um, effects can high stress at work? not sleeping well, family stresses, relationship stresses, all that sort of stuff. How does that affect the body um, and how that might that impact adaptation to training? Because sometimes we go in the gym and we go, I'm just not getting better. Yeah. You've got all this thing going on, my, my, my parents, I've got a little boy now or different yeah. examples of all that sort of stuff. And you don't always, I don't think people do a great job of actually throwing that sort of stuff into the mix and the body's response to that as well. Because yeah. we talk about like a nice progressive approach to training and we have our framework for calisthenics and people that have got our guides have been following like tutorials of progressive steps to go. Mm. And obviously we get to see the ones they send in videos once they can do it, but the people that can't do it, you don't see so much of that. And we feel it ourselves when we go, I'm not progressing like, and you, you just question almost immediately, am I doing the right exercise and the right progressions rather than just actually, am I not getting stronger and progressing because mm. are there some physiological adaptations that aren't happening or I'm hindering myself because of, Mm. I don't know, whatever whatever I'm doing outside of actually training like the gym is just one I might do, you would do three one hour sessions that's three hours in your week of yeah. I don't know how many hours there are in a week how many hours in a week <laughs> it's not, it's I don't know maths. I'm talking about Dave seven times 24 <laughs> okay. yeah. so whatever yeah, yeah. but three, is a small, three hours is a small amount yeah. of that if you know what I mean um, I think there are a couple of foundation views that you've you've got to be uh, content with and that that's the fact that when you are mentally stressed with work uh, and demand or life then you have got to pare back the the demand you're placing on your body through some training and that's that's if you want to get sophisticated about it that's you tuning into um, adapting under the right hormonal conditions for example um, but that's not to say the fact that physical exercise in itself can't help yeah. boost your your mental abilities, your physical uh, refreshment. So, so actually, there's a there's a bit of opposites to here. In that, actually, when you're under load, workload yeah. from from work, then some physical exercise will help your recovery process. Um, it will zoom you out. It will mm. help you create new ideas. It will de-stress you. So it will help you manage that. Um, but at the same time, if you are pushing for a quite ambitious 
physical goal, then you might just have to be a bit more realistic. Um, there's one uh, one example that I think illustrates this nicely. Uh, Sebastian Coe, when studying for his his final exams, he talked to his father about actually just just cutting back his training load. And what they I mean, Sebastian Coe was training a lot, but he he cut his training load in half whilst he was doing his final exams. He broke three world records that that summer. <laughs> And that's not to say that you just chop your chop your workload and it's all going to come out, but that's talking about finding the right balance so that you're optimising yourself. Under those conditions, he was under a lot of stress to get the, the exam performance, but also the appropriate amount of physical stress, and he got the balance right. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, someone like, like Jess, we talked about uh, using smart training. We used... We use sort of six-minute warm-ups to, to train her endurance. And, and that's a really novel, quite innovative, slightly risky method that we used. Just like micro-adjustments to a training program that can make a real difference. Yeah. And so people do need to be realistic about what they can cope with, but, but also maybe taking just small doses to chip away at mm. a goal they're working on. Yeah, we, we, we've talked a lot with athletes over the years about doing the least amount of training to get the most amount of change and just stripping out things that aren't adding value because from an from elite sports perspective, and I think what I'm always conscious of is sometimes we can kind of, we can put an athlete up on a pedestal and go, well, they're an athlete, so this doesn't, these things don't really apply to me because I'm not an elite athlete, but their lives are busy training. Everyone's lives is busy now with, with everything else. We've all got this stuff going on. Mm -hmm. So we can understand what is in our training week that's going to, Add the most amount of value and then chop out the stuff that's that's not or streamline the stuff that's not. And again, that's one of the things about calisthenics and the way that we train is actually, I know that I need to train some shoulder stability and I want some strength and I want some integration of the of some core. For, for we, we did just a YouTube series on this, but thinking about the role of the core, let's just define it broadly for today. But if I'm doing calisthenics, I'm actually ticking all of those things off at the same time with one exercise rather than going, this is my shoulder stability exercise. Now I'm going to go and train strength. I need to finish with some crunches. And I think that's one of the things from, from busy people, um, why I think calisthenics fits in and getting a lot of work done or a lot of boxes ticked in a short period of time. Um, but I, I, from my own experience, I feel like I've lost, I say lost, but I've, I've, the last two years of training for me haven't been easy because work's been so busy. We travelled a lot, like you would have been the same in, in the looks of games, it was it was pretty full on. Working long days, under a lot of stress. One year ago, Jack was born, so the things have just been upside down. And I've, I actually learned during that period of time, I, I can't beat myself up about it. I've just got to accept this is where I'm at. Mm. There's some of these things I can manage, some of these things I can't, and this is a, probably likely to be a season of my life of which I can then start to make some improvements moving forwards. Have you, have you got any? Because I'm really interested in how you, what you're now doing and taking lessons from performance sport and implementing it into business people. And a lot of people that will be listening to this have got pressured jobs mm -hmm. and, and busy lives. Is there anything that you've learned that, that help, would help people to sort of understand how to strip some of that? Let's not say unnecessary, but prioritize what it is that they're doing to maximize physical goal achievement and that sort of thing. Yeah, I think there's, uh, there's a different demand on kind of your work professional that, that I think a lot of sports coaches and administrators, performance directors can actually learn from. So, so at the time of an Olympic Games, uh, a coach, um, a performance director, they're going to be under huge stresses because 
to a certain extent, their livelihood is on the line. If they don't get results, yeah. then there's every chance that that athlete doesn't get funding and therefore they don't, yeah. or the, the whole sport goes down. And at, that, at the key moment of an Olympic Games, or Paralympics, or, or major championships, or um, European Cup final, whatever it might be, the coaches, the support team, should be thinking as if they're an athlete themselves, what, what is, what is going to help me get in a position so that I'm performing at my optimum? So we know that, for example, if you, if you are physically fitter, you cope with stresses better. Mm. If we impose the psychological stress, the fitter we are, the better we cope with it. We know that if you train in the morning, that your blood pressure response will be attenuated throughout the day. And if we then impose another psychological stress, whether that's that, that meeting you know you're going to have a confrontation in, we know that you're going to be able to contain your mental capabilities better. So your, your, your stress-based response is lower. And that means that you're not necessarily going to be uh, res- you know, responding in a fight-or-flight stress-based response. Could, yeah. Your decision-making capabilities are going to be maintained. Mm. And so when you frame it in that sense, why wouldn't coaches, performance directors, or business professionals, when there's millions of pounds on a line for decision-making, why wouldn't you be yeah. investing in fitness mm. and on a, on a day-to-day basis so that you are fresh and ready to go? Uh, and then that, that relates then to quality nutrition, investing in sleep properly. Um, I work with one executive who, who runs a billion dollar uh, company and we're getting into how we can maximize his sleep. Because the, the next day he's going to be sitting down with Russian oligarchs yeah. and trying to convince them of investing in, in, in whatever amount of money. If he's not fresh and ready to go, he's got to account to the shareholders yeah. on that. Mm. Uh, so he needs to find a way that fits with his demanding routine. Uh, so that, that in itself illustrates you, we've got to be committed to this because this stuff works. It yeah. properly works. I think there's some really good stuff there about actually prioritising, even though the world feels like it's closing in because we've got so much stuff on, prioritising that 25-minute run. Sometimes that's all it takes is just to go and clear your head um, and be clear on your, on your goals. Um, something I know Jacko is going to pick up on, I think you've got a couple of questions with yeah. people um, that have, have sent in to us. But one thing that we find is that is a lot of people don't want to rest when they're training. They, they want to train six, seven days a week and they get onto this this cycle and then they get niggles and they, they almost become addicted to training. Um, I was wondering, and jump yeah. on this Jack if you yeah. want to as well, but some practical tips for people around the importance of taking rest physiologically and then also the best ways that we can optimize recovery because there's a lot of people wanting to sell us a lot of recovery products these days. <laughs> but from my understanding and the, the, the approach that we take of being a very back to basics, let's just nail those things because it's probably most important. You've touched on one of those already with the sleep. Yeah. How do we get ourselves ready for, for, the, for to, to continue to train and manage all that other stuff that we've got going on? Yeah. Is that in line? Yeah, yeah, with yeah. Um, I'd, I think we'd both love to pick your brains about recovery. And I know we've got some questions from from the audience about maximising recovery. I remember my old SNC coach when I played rugby was. It's a given that you're training hard. And if someone's just not training hard, they're, they're sort of kidding themselves. It's a given we're training hard. It's the person that recovers the best. Like, who's the best at recovering that actually 
um, progresses and, and performs the best. So um, getting into that, but just just I'd just like to touch on um, just the term stress that you've mentioned a few times because often um, stress is seen as a bad thing. But then when Tim's talking about when we're in, in terms of training, it'll be like we want a stress to then be able to create an adaptation so we get stronger or that type of that physical adaptation. So when the term stress can be used in for some for various different people yeah. stress means something completely different when someone says stress here's us talking now about stress they'll their mind might go straight away to i don't know like their husband or what something that's <laughs> something that's stressing shopping. them that way or shopping <laughs> or, yeah, yeah, me being an aldi with catherine that's stress that's um, yeah that's trying an to, olympic level with the, yeah, <laughs> in the middle aisles do you want to buy that samurai sword or not that's like, not even a question <laughs> for you it's a yes <laughs> You're a middle aisle demon. <laughs> but, but um, yeah, do I want those middle aisle trainers? They're only 10 quid, <laughs> but they look legit. But, um, <laughs> um, but no, yeah, joking aside, I know that yeah, like, yeah. as I was listening on then, I'm sure there'll be some people listening at home going like, okay, stress to me means this, but they're talking about mm. stress a little bit differently. And like, how do, you, um, how do you define you or how does, in terms of physiology, how are you defining stress? And then, and how does that, is it always a bad thing or how do you try and manipulate those stress? I know when you're talking about hormone levels, just to you went talk, we're not talking about, we're talking about hormonal responses to various different stresses as yeah. opposed to how other people might change their hormonal <clears throat> response, if that makes sense, in a, in a naughty way. We're, not talk, we're talking about how the body is oh, automatically doing yes. that depending on how you are um, stressing or de-stressing it. Um, does that make sense? That I just, just yeah. To try well, and get if I if I respond and if I've missed anything, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. On it. But yeah, in terms of in terms of stressors, because that's going to lead into then the recovery questions. Yeah, isn't it? absolutely. There's a massive factor in that. You need to be, we need to be differentiating here where um, some sort of mental or physical overload causes a sort of a downward spiral of events that that is difficult to manage, mm. and that could could lead to mental health or it could cause some sort of injury or breakdown which might be an inevitable part of if you chasing a meaningful challenging goal that that ultimately if you never break down or if you if an athlete never gets injured or overtrains they probably haven't found the level mm. um mm. that's that's the reality of it's a bit it. of trial and error yeah it's a t- continual tightrope um if you put too much in you'll mm. break down if you don't put enough in you won't improve enough so mm. you have to find that level and that's where being my, tuned in to the subtle symptoms of physical, mental well-being and your muscle soreness or uh, your energy levels, these are huge indicators that actually are better than nearly any other f- objective measure. You just how am I today? How do I feel? They, they will tell you more than you'll ever get from a laboratory measure. So, so that's an important differentiator. But what we're talking about here and certainly when it when it relates to training, physical training, we're talking about what is training, and and I and I often I often put this up for a lot of presentations, and and I don't I feel embarrassed saying this, but the amount of oh yeah, so I get from the conversation is training is a mechanical or metabolic stimulus. Yeah, that's what it is, and if it's not hard enough. It, your body will go yeah whatever can do that already yeah <laughs> thanks change yeah um, if it's hard enough your body will respond I've got a little uh, dialogue with my muscles and I, I'm, I'm constantly chatting with them they'll turn around and go what would you do that for that hurt mm. that used our resources 
Well, if you're going to do that again, I'm going to need some resources to build the muscles up for growth. And it's a chain and cascade of, of cell signaling that will happen that will make your body stronger. Yeah. And if you don't do it again, it will just degrade back to the level it was. So, so that's your body's response to, to a stress that you don't improve during the training. You might do a little bit. You don't improve during that bit. Mm. That's the stimulus for your body to adapt. Either a muscle tissue or a neural programming, um, whatever it might be. Mm. And I don't, I don't think that just relates to physical stimuli. It's, it's also the stresses that we're under, you know, the demanding meeting or in competing deadlines. Yeah. That's you immersed and focused on, on, what, on the, the tasks that you're doing. You then also need to have an off period, a time when you're switched off, that you get a bit of incubation, it's called, yeah. where the ideas just ruminating, and then you'll get another phase yeah. called inspiration, where you'll get the idea and create the connections. If you're being clever about it, you can use physical exercise to do that, because you know that when we go for a run or a cycle, you get a change in brainwave activity where you create all these interconnections. Yeah. Uh, and that ha- that's something you can do deliberately, yeah. putting time aside to to investing in idea creation. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. Some I'm not a big endurance type person. I grew up playing rugby, as a lot of people have mentioned in the past. So going for a run for me is hard. Like the, the idea of doing a marathon is, is we talk about redefining your impossibles. Like I, th- I believe I could. It's a marathon run. you're in festival. No, I, Let's I, do I, one. I believe I could run a marathon. I just don't want to train for it because it's I don't on my like list. the training, the, that sort of training that much. Um, but funny enough, if I take myself out for a five k run or whatever it is, that's when I get clarity. And sometimes mm. if I've got something to really think over. And, I, and I'll put my headphones in, I'm going to go to the gym. And if it's something around we're working on from a calisthenics perspective, that is often the time when I do my best thinking. And, and I saw someone put something on Twitter a while ago and it said, some people need to move to think. And I'm like that. I sit me in a room and I go a little bit stir crazy. Mm. Um, it doesn't have to be a, a run though. It could be a, it could be a walk. Yeah. And, yeah. and the Roman generals used to have a term for this, which I love. It's called Solvitas Perambulum, solve whilst walking. Mm. And the, the Roman generals would, would parade around the, the, the square, either walking and talking, or they'd go and think. Yeah. And they invested in it, because if they didn't, people's lives would get lost because they didn't have the best strategy. Mm-hmm. To me, that just makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so why wouldn't you invest in it, let alone get your steps up? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think it's really interesting around that, because I've, I've got a dog, so um, he's a golden retriever, so he, he likes to walk. Twice a day. He's not the sort of the, he's not the sort of um, dog that will sit around at home all day. Um, so I have to go out. So I'm, that's almost forced into my daily routine. Right. But the interesting thing is, I've done a lot of um, last year, particularly, was investing a lot, and in, I'm going to learn more. So audible books, listening to podcasts. And I was finding when I was going out, I was just consuming and pumping more information into my brain, so more stimulation. But it wasn't increasing the amount of like you said, incubation and inspiration time. Where actually I was allowing my thoughts to free flow. Yeah. Um, so I've taken the ta- tactic this year that that's going to be more about the time I'm out with the dog, or just creating more opportunities just to let my thoughts wander because it's such an important part of what we do. We, we're talking exercise and, and that sort of stuff, but there's businesses behind what we're all doing, and everybody else is, is, is working in those areas where they're professionally challenged. I would imagine for most people, and I think Lewis, because we're so it's so much access to information these days it's so easy to overstimulate 
But some of the greatest things that we can do, the most innovative things we're going to do, are going to come from allowing these concepts to formulate and incubate. And I don't want to deprive myself of the opportunity to come up with things which might be revolutionary or innovative and help people, like on our quest is to help people, more people to redefine how impossible. Is there a better way that we can teach a handstand? Well, what, are we, what information do we need to give people which is going to help them to do something which they didn't think they could do? That's, mm-hmm. It's cool, but it's, yeah. you have to be very intentional about those sorts of things. The other thing, mm-hmm. just, just picking up on, on being intentional, because it's come up a little bit around the training goals and the structure and training weeks. What about sleep? Because I think this is something which we um, is so important, but is, is, is being hit pretty hard with what day-to-day life and our environment is like these days with around technology and, and that sort of thing. What are your mm. thoughts around maximizing sleep and the potential um, threats to sleeping well? Even how important, even starting with how important is it? Yeah. Because if, if you go, it's not that important, then we don't need to worry about maximizing it. Yeah, I like sleep. I dedicate a third of my life to it. Uh, uh, and, that, and that itself is our, is our basics. Yeah. Um, I sometimes wake up in the morning and think, that's a long time. You know, like what you do. <laughs> do you ever know? Even oh, if it's. Wasted time. Yeah, well, no, no, not necessarily as a waste. You know, like what you do eight hours during a day. If I have eight hours then at night, you like go, yeah. God, it just went like that. I think how much Facebook you could do in those eight yeah. hours. You no, know, I, I wake up and think, God, I only just remember. You know, it's been eight hours, but I remember it just feels like just a minute ago that I put me down the pill. Well, <laughs> one of the, he can't answer one that. that. One of the world's leading physiologists, and that's what you've got. <laughs> It just felt like I just put my dance to No, I like that. I like it. It's just an interesting point for sleep. Yeah. Thank you. You were quite conscious of your existence and time there. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah. Stand corrected, boys. There we go. Come on, let's get it existential. Well, fundamentally, if you were designing and creating the kind of the best high performance preparation routine, sleep would be one of the big rocks that you put in. That's it in a nutshell. Um, if you're not nailing sleep and you're in a kind of performance environment, whether it's, a, whether it's an athlete or aspiring to a remarkable goal as a, as a business professional, um, sleep is absolutely vital. So that, that in itself of, of refreshing, repairing and rejuvenating your physical and mental capabilities, that's when it's going to happen. So people talk a lot about um, getting micro rest during the day and that's, that's quite important. But it's not nearly as important no. as, as getting good physical exercise and investing in sleep. Um, so, so in terms of getting it right, there, there are again there are some foundation principles, and what we're not talking here about marginal gains. We're talking about massive gains. This yeah. is this is the with a, G, with a capital Z. <laughs> gains, yeah. A couple of Zs on there. Nice, yeah. yeah, I like that. And we just, I'm just imagining graffiti. Now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Games. Yeah. Um, so, so you you have you have a body clock, and that will fit to it's called circadian rhythm, and that circa means roughly a day. So you've got we've got this strange tendency for our, our body clock to run slightly longer than a, than twenty four hours. Um, so you have to try and keep it to a routine, and that's where. So I say that again. So circadian rhythm, yeah. the, the biological rhythm that you experience on a day to day basis. The, the the word circadian comes comes from circa dear, yeah. which means roughly a day. Right. So it's it's but not. Were you saying it's slightly longer than it's a slightly day? longer? Yeah, it's okay. about twenty four and a half hours right. per day. So 
So, you know, when you travel to sort of yeah. America, your body clock uh, moves very quickly, whereas yeah. if you go east, it's, yeah. it's much harder to, to adapt because you're going yeah. backwards. Yeah. Um, so, so that's why it's easier to have lions and then go to bed late than it is yeah. to get up a bit earlier and go to bed yeah. earlier. Um, so so that's, that offers you the, the structure that you, have, you should be trying to apply a standard routine, a standard bedtime that your body gets used to. Um, so it expects to go to bed at a certain time and expects to get up at a certain time. And that's why probably a lot of people feel groggy on a Monday morning is because they've, mm. they've had a lie-in for an hour and a half on a Saturday mm. and then maybe a bit later on a Sunday and they're going to have to go back. Um, yeah. So I've heard people say that before they should get up on Saturday and Sunday the same I've got as a good solution for this if you have a baby that makes you literally have no choice because he gets it like 9 o'clock on a Saturday night and you're going it's Saturday yeah, I don't care but you always tell me how tired <laughs> you are whereas I wake up at 9 o'clock or 8 o'clock on a Sunday and I feel like that lion helped me if you know what I mean yeah well there's, there's potentially some growing evidence that that's nothing to do with enhancements of sleep that's just the fact you've enjoyed it <laughs> yeah, I'm so it's just just yeah. been a nice experience yeah. of just lying about. Yeah, yeah. So it was. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I like this sort of this this conversation because there was a period of time when I was coming up through S and C where and trying to build a business where I would there's a I think, I think it's an Arnold Schwarzenegger video where it's like sleep less if you want to achieve more sleep less if if you if you have a line until if you or if you're if you're trying to get eight hours sleep I only want four I've done four more hours than you so I'm going to win. And I've always, it's always sat uncomfortably because I've just gone, I don't think that's the most effective way to optimise those eight hours. So I've taken the, the approach now that actually I just need to be more productive and looking at how I can better um, produce more high quality work in the hours that I'm awake and still get to bed rather than thinking I'm going to be up until two o'clock in the morning. Right. Because like you mentioned before, there's a huge amount of pressure on what we do with working with athletes. You've got people's careers in your hands and if they don't perform, the whole sport is potentially at risk. Um, so being on your game and having a clear thought process when you're doing these kind of high pressure tasks and whether that's in business or anything, like I, I want to be on my game. I don't want to be rocking up off four hours sleeping. Yeah, you get through the day and some people I think probably adjust to it. But it, it, it's throwing that back of going, actually, let's prioritize sleep over mm-hmm. doing more and, and, and let's just be more productive those eight hours. It's, it's just a much better concept for me, I think. I think we can all relate to the fact that when you've had a bad night's sleep, whether it's an anticipating travel routine or a stressful day, uh, you wake up and you're groggy. Mm. My wife always argues with me more if I've not slept well. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah that's, you need to get you a mirror for that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that's exactly it. That that I'm, I'm I am underperforming because yeah. I'm not. I'm on sort of autopilot and I'm kind of just drudging through the day, yeah. as opposed to turning up, energetic, mm. focused, productive, and and it might be that you you only do a couple of hours of of high quality work, but you you've achieved a lot as opposed to just kind of eight hours of mediocrity, of of underperforming. Yeah. So it's about it's about investing in it properly. Just touch on Steve. I went to a conference. I forget the the, the guy's name who spoke, but he he talked about um, optimal amount of sleep 
per night being, I think he was said eight hours, which is generally, but I'm, I'm, I think I'm, I'm recalling that correctly. And he said that if you start to if you start to expose yourself and get less sleep, you create a sleep deficit, and then at some point the body's going to want to recapture that sleep. Is that is that correct from your perspective? Yeah, although you, it's it's difficult to kind of you can't just sort of build up a, this deficit and think right, I'll sleep at the weekend or I'll yeah. sleep in May. <laughs> you can't do that. You'll catch it up the next day. You know you know how that that sort of concept where. Say, for example, you have a late night and the next day you feel a bit tired, but it's the following day mm. that you actually feel really tired. And that's because you've had to sort of almost catch that sleep back up. Yeah. So you don't, you don't really catch it up that well. Yeah. Um, you're, you're, you're playing catch up as opposed to I can repair and, and, and catch the deficit. Yeah. So, yeah, I, th- I think around that, you have to be mindful that if you can get a good routine in place go to bed at a similar sort of time is that the most important thing for sleep routine yeah pretty much and then and then the the effect reduces ever so slightly what you should have is a routine leading up to the routine so you're talking about sort of going going up to to bed and and it they talk about sleep hygiene which to me always sounds like you're bathing in Dettol or antibacterial yeah. <laughs> gel, but it's not. It's about yeah, having a clean too. routine yeah. that is free of technology, it follows the same sort of pattern that act as a cue for your mind, right, we're now entering into a sleep phase and starts to clock you down so that you're yeah. ready to go to sleep. I think a lot of people have heard that about, like, no screens or technology, like... Just to clar- like clarify for people, like, why, rather than people just hearing, like, oh, you shouldn't be on your phone, like, why... From a physiological point of view, why is that actually important? What's happening when people are looking at their phone, tablet, TV, five minutes before they go, or for the last hour before they're going to then try and switch off? Like, what's actually happening? Yeah, well, if anyone who's flown across multiple time zones will know just how hard it is to look at the, you know, look into the daylight when your body's not expecting it. Yeah. Light is one of the biggest influences on our body clock, yeah. and and so that's why. If you, if you travel in certain directions, you have to be up at certain times to adjust your body clock. You have to expose yourself to light. Um, and the light will act on certain brain centers and stimulate it, and that will cause release of hormones like melatonin and so on that will dictate your body clock rhythm. Um, if you're exposing to technological light, blue light specifically, at a certain wavelength mm. will keep waking up that mm. brain center and start sending the messages to your brain that it's it's still time to be awake. Yet your body will be accumulating sort of fatigue from the day yeah. when it's saying, oh, I want to go Getting to bed. Getting ready to like, oh, no, yeah. I should be going to bed, and then you're firing all that blue light. Absolutely. So so being free of that, and actually TVs and so on relate in the same way, that they're exposing all this light to, to, our, um, to our brains. So what you should really be doing is is having at least half an hour that's technology free. Do those blue light filters make any difference, or is that? I don't think they do. No, I think it changes the the appearance more than the actual wavelength of light. Um, and so that's the, diff- the very subtle difference between if you're reading a Kindle at, at night yeah. that's that's not backlit versus backlit. That's going to be the difference. Yeah. Uh, so the old, you know, reading a book in bed or mm, yeah. or, or doing something that's quite mindful and it's free of that technology input. So that that can disrupt. But then, equal by equal measure, having caffeine from the afternoon yeah. onwards, um, alcohol, 
uh, three hours before bed, those will disrupt your sleep by an equal amount. Alcohol is an interesting one because people tend <laughs> to think they, they drink and they want to sleep, but you pay yeah. for that later on in the sleep, sleep cycle. Is that correct? Are you asking for a friend? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, I'm asking for my, the one unit a week I drink. I'm, I'm wondering about the nights out we used to have after rugby for our recovery and our sleep. I know that if I watch a rugby game in the afternoon and have a drink, I don't, I don't drink a lot anyway, but if I have a beer, I'm literally going to be asleep 45 yeah. minutes later. I can't stay awake. I think there's a difference between, oh, Stephen, I'm sure, like, the I think there's a difference between one drink yeah. and then having a skimful and then trying to go to bed. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you're metabolising that, that alcohol, the ethanol part of it, and that in itself causes a disruption to your, your sleep pattern. So you might not feel like you go, you, you probably don't have any problem getting to sleep. If you look at the quality of your sleep, yeah. if you look at accelerometry, sleep monitoring, and so on, you will see a deterioration in your deep sleep. Mm. Um, and that's you where like, don't you? you feel like you almost didn't go to sleep. Yeah, and and I think that's that's just you getting in touch with what, what does this make sense? Filling my body with alcohol and caffeine and looking at blue light mm. does that make biological sense? Is that going to work well? Probably not. So if you're gonna if you're gonna have a drink that it's a little bit earlier in the evening, like seven o'clock with your dinner or something, and then mm. that's it, you sort of stop. You're still balancing it out. Yeah. If you if you have caffeine late at night, it's gonna disrupt your sleep, yeah. regardless mm. of What's the, the half is caffeine. Oh, now you're testing me. So, well, specifically, the, you have different lengths based on on your own habituation uh, to okay. to caffeine. Yeah. So if you're if you're a five espressos a, a, a day person, you have espresso in the evening, it's going to affect you later. Only five. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed you've got all these, all these shot glasses lined up. Um, so so it's, it's going to affect you differently based on your metabolism, yeah. the, the, the rate of, of um, caffeine usage. But it's um, a number of hours, isn't it? Like, I mean, someone can be having it at three o'clock in the afternoon. Oh, absolutely, yeah. You're talking six-hour turnaround. Nine, yeah. nine o'clock at night, yeah. Great. I guess bring this to a close, Steve. We've got a couple of, uh, of, of quick questions that I want you to ask to answer. Um, I, want to, I don't want to go on the route of quick fire because it'll give you some scope to, to, right. to embed, but some really succinct ones. We've talked a little bit, I'm just going to wrap this up and I've got one little kick at the end, but um, what tactics have you seen that champions use to, 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 to increase their productivity, to, to perform at high levels? Um, and we, we talk a lot about redefining the impossible. So winning a gold medal for some people at the games might be, might be seem like an impossible. There's people that go on these journeys and they do these, these sorts of things. What sort of common traits over the hundreds of athletes that you've worked with nail down to the top sort of three or four things that people do well that, that, that actually supports their success? Well, I mean, there's, there's, there's quite a few, but I'll try to keep this focus for you. That you have to set your, your sights high. You have to be clear on what you want to achieve. What's the... What's the goal? And, and being quite specific about that. Having something that's set out the distance, the, a bit of a um, top of the mountain type of achievement, but then also being clear as to what are the steps that I need to take today to be able to achieve that. So if, you, if you're only focused on the top of the mountain and don't look down, then, then you won't know where you're going. Yeah. But equally, if you've just got your head down all the time, you perhaps haven't got that ambitious goal. Mm. So being clear on what the goal is. Um, a, lot, a lot of elite athletes are hugely tenacious in acquiring that goal. And what I mean by that is that they're really prioritised on the things that are going to give them biggest value. And so that does actually mean understanding your world to a degree of 
complexity? What are all the different things I could consider? And really focused on the thing that gives you the biggest gain and being prioritised around that. Um, one of the, thing, the lessons that relates to, to every person around is athletes are resilient mm. and that they see setbacks and mistakes or problems or failures as a source of, of learning and lessons and mm. they draw the, the, the lessons out for tomorrow as opposed to dwelling on it as a failure and thinking they've, they've messed up. In, and that, I think that, that relates to us all, really. Yeah. Um, so there's a, there's a couple. I could go on. No, they're great. Um, last one for me, then. I'm going to let Jacko just talk to you a bit more about supporting champions in the conference. Um, a big thing for us is we're, we're helping to people to, to do things that they didn't think they could do, really find impossible. What is something that you're working on at the moment? That you, what is your big mountaintop goal, your sort of sure impossible. impossible that you would like to work towards in your business, personal life, or, or whatever it might be? Oh wow! Um, well, this is this is potentially going to go public then for the first time. We, we've been brewing. Oh, we love an exclusive. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> we've got drum. We've got those drum roll sound effects. Add it in later. Add it in later. Okay. We're, well, I think when we when we first set this out, uh, we we were un, uh, quite aware that we wanted to bring kind of the science and art of optimizing your performance to a wider community, not just the people that get the privilege to put a tra- tracksuit on and compete at the highest level. And, and we were really inspired by a lot of business people, people in education, people who work in charity, who really got the performance concept. And that might mean not putting more in uh, to actually get more out. Mm. These sorts of fundamental principles that I think can help people truly achieve remarkable results. And so we've been humbled and inspired by how people have connected with that mission. So, so that's, that's the sort of, that was the first go. And then we're starting to realise that our mission and our purpose is to, is to help develop people. And uh, the first vehicle that, that has been through sport, um, my, my wife, Rachel, who, who we work together, which, is, which has been a, a lesson for us, you know, we, we've learned and we get on, it's good. It's good. We still she like argue each, with you when you're tired as well. We still <laughs> like each other. No, she said the other day, you're rested because you're quite annoying. <laughs> um, so I've got a bit of energy. Um, is that she, she learned through education, but she also researched um, high performance industries that, that I started stealing ideas from. Basically, if you don't, if you don't have high quality uh, abilities in certain industries, people die. Mm. Um, if your air traffic control aren't well rested, yeah. people fall out the sky. That's it. Yeah, yeah. You know, they nail it for productivity performance reasons. So we can all learn from mm, that. Yeah. But um, yeah, we've just recently done a, a bit of work around uh, about our, what our mission is, and obviously we want to add value through a lot of content. But we we want to start to build a number of systems to help people, and our ultimate goal is to to try and help people solve some of the the, the world's most dearest problems. And that's our mission. Um, right. So we're just kind of crafting that. So that's we thought we had a mountain, then we just peeked over it. And we've seen a, a, a higher mountain, and then then, yeah. then we want to go into space. So. Um, so that's that's our mission. It's interesting because I thought you were going to say um, I want to learn to do a handstand to take part in the handstand world record assembly <laughs> this year, but that's uh, obviously behind behind the other mountain. <laughs> well, I did do some handstands yesterday um, in preparation for today, um, albeit in a swimming pool. <laughs> Does that count? Yeah, it's the assistance tool. We aren't going to have a swimming pool on the day for <laughs> yeah. a record challenge, so you're going to need to do it on dry land. But well done for making a start. I was upside down. Exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. 
Jack and wrap it up for can us. I, I can just ask, I've got just one like recovery question. I promise Rob Hunt, Rob Hunt that I would ask, and he he gave it the old um, the the nice um, thank yous, and he's been enjoying the podcast um, and whatnot. Uh, but he had a question, and it's something that's come up loads of times: is is there anything in terms of DOMS, delayed onset muscle disorders? Is there anything that people can do to try and reduce DOMS after their hard sessions that they've been doing? Um, Yes, yes, there are. There are a number of things that you can do afterwards that, that can help. So things like compression garments, um, ice baths, um, there's some evidence around kind of antioxidant supplementation, tart cherry juice. Yeah. That's another area. So there's things that you can do, but uh, my, my challenge would be why do you want to reduce it? If, you, if you're sore, that's a stimulus. Mm-hmm. Um, so your body, let, it, let your Rest body come back let your body use that stimulus if you start putting in ice baths and all this compression stuff you might be shortcutting that stimulus so you might feel fresher the next day but your stimulus might not have resonated as much as it could do so if you're sore enjoy it and then maybe have a little think about what what it may be knocking down the training session so you're not quite as sore next time so you can maintain the fitness my feeling on that is that nobody enjoys the doms you get in your legs when you've done the first like introduce a new stimulus and it's literally training on a Friday and it's Tuesday afternoon and it's still painful to go on the toilet (laughs) 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 it's just bruising but like I say we've actually started a different block of training recently more hypertrophy work and getting that DOMS feeling back, I like it. I like yeah. feeling like I've got that working I guess system. What you're saying is if you try if you try and like mask that with some of these things, then all you're doing is setting yourself up to like overtrain yourself and overfatigue yourself in the long term potentially. Yeah, I mean I, I think I, I was probably liable that I, I exacerbated this as myself as a scientist, that we were promoting ice baths in the early two thousands. And I remember Haley Tullet and I, I write about this in the book that Haley Tullett came back to me and said, look, I'm doing ice baths. Um, I feel fresher the next day. Um, I'm doing more mileage, but I'm not getting any faster. Am I doing more to get the same effect? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah, you really, might yeah. Be. yeah, and that's not clever. Yeah. Certainly for an athlete where impact could, could break you down. Yeah. Um, so you, as you say, do, do less to get more. That yeah. would be the, the formula to try and get. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. So um, if people want to, hopefully people have enjoyed that. And there's been, I think, a lot of takeaway messages to, uh, to go with that to help you with your with your sleep, with your recovery, with your training, just give a bit of an insight into uh, um, people that, like Steve that have been working at the, the very top of... Um, of elite sport um, Steve they want to know a bit more about you and what you're doing um, I know your book Sporting Champions which of which I've got a copy of upstairs good man I love um, you even more so, well, my, my, my wife's sister bought it me as a Christmas present um, I never knew our, our, our paths would cross at that mm. point um, yeah where can they where can they find you sort of website social media and then you've got um, a conference that you're putting on where can they find out information about that yeah well the, the main hub would be supportingchampions.co.uk and yeah we've got a conference coming up which is about really sharing some of these honest authentic accounts of what it takes to create find a better way of creating performance and so we've got people from Team Sky, from Royal Ballet, from um, Italian Rugby, a whole host of superb leading uh, professionals in the area of, of sport performance. Um, and so our conference is coming up. Uh, deadline for tickets is on the 6th of March. That's coming up yeah. uh, fairly soon. If people want to come and join us, uh, down for uh, two days, that's the 20th and 21st of March, uh, down at the Emirates Stadium. Um, we're on uh, Twitter at support underscore champs. 
And then we've just recently launched our podcast, which you can you can find supporting champions on iTunes and on YouTube. Great. We'll put all the links to the show note in the sh- all those links in the show notes, so you can just click on those to find Steve. So that just leaves me to, to thank you, Steve, for joining us on the on the podcast. It's been um, been really interesting and insightful. And I think there's a lot of questions that we get that, that we've it's been great that we bring over to bring an expert in the field in to give us a little bit more depth into into pushed into those. So thanks again. Until next week, class dismissed. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you've enjoyed it, guys, we'd really appreciate a five-star review on iTunes. And if you want to put a one-star one on that sort of fine, we'll just delete it. (laughs) Until next time, class dismissed.